0: Good to have you with us today. I realize um, not a lot of churches are having Sunday morning services, and we uh, a couple of people asked me, "Well, why are we?" And I I think this is obvious. There's a number of folks that wanted to gather, but also some of you uh, that are visiting, some of you that are in town this weekend, um, some of you that don't that aren't able to get away and go be with family. Like we want to be able to sort of be family to you, and and to be able to worship together on a Sunday with you. So. Uh, I hope this service is a blessing to you um, as you're here. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time this month, we, um, we've been talking about the end of the, the, our year giving um, just as a focus for us to remind ourselves that Christ came to, to serve us. And so we have um, this call to go and to serve others in his name. So one of the things we do with 10% of, of whatever comes in on a Sunday, 10% of that goes to support our outside partnerships. That's included in our budget all of the time. Um, but then uh, in December, we decide to try to give more uh, just as an emphasis in relation to uh, Christmas. So we um, give an additional 10%. And this month, we have set a, set a goal of 175000 And uh, with the additional 10% going to support the International Mission Board, which uh, we talked about a few weeks ago, but to help you understand, most mission agencies do not fund their missionaries. The vast majority of missionaries that serve overseas have to go raise all of their own funds from partners and organizations and stuff like that. The International Mission Board is the is one of the few organizations that says, no, we will fully fund you. You, you have to go through a process and apply and be vetted and trained and all that. But once you get through that, we will fully fund you. So you do not have to come back and keep worrying about your funding base. We will supply insurance for your family. We will do all of those things. So that's a great agency. And we um, uh, several of our folks in the church have friends or family members that are serving overseas uh, with that, uh, the Four Greater Boston uh, Organizations, a new organization that is focusing on coming alongside church planters around Boston, um, helping resource minority uh, and indigenous local church planters who may not have network large church networks to be able to help fund them as they plant. And then also, uh, there's some funding that comes from that for uh, a spouse uh, advocate who works with all the church planters' spouses and women uh, across the the church planning networks we're connected with here in the city, and so we're giving to that. And then finally, one of our uh, uh, own, uh, Savannah Galbert, is graduating from BU in May, and she is headed to London with a, a missions organization called Surge, and she's committed to two years there. And she, just as an example of of missions agency, uh, she has to raise her own funds. And so it's a great agency. We believe in what they're doing, uh, but we want to come alongside her and help her to be able to get going uh, with that. So we're going to give, that'll be divided up a third of that 10%. So um, you do the math on that. I'm not going to do that right now. Um, but I want to encourage you to give right now, uh, it's... This is how we roll. It always makes me nervous, but around this time of the month, I'm going. We're not going to make our goal. We're just not even going to get anywhere close because we're about halfway right now, uh, and there's just over a week left. So encourage you uh, to to give if you've not. It's not. And I would say this honestly. It's not about the big gifts. I'm always more encouraged by the number of people who choose to give uh, something. Um, because it's about what the Lord does through our efforts together, not one person dropping a big check. Though, if you want to write a big check, I don't want to discourage you. Um, please uh, do so. Um, <laughs> but do as the Lord leads, and if that's just a small amount, don't feel, don't feel guilty that you can't give more. Uh, the Lord takes um, whatever we give, and that's the point. So um, we are Today, we are in a um, wrap sort of in the last day of a series. We've been focusing uh, the last three Sundays on the titles of Jesus from Isaiah chapter uh, nine, verse seven. Um, If you remember them, uh, a son will be born. His name uh, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, this being the fourth Sunday of Advent, you would think I'm going to do Prince of Peace, but I'm not because they're going to do Prince of Peace tonight, and I told Stephen Costello, who's preaching, I didn't want to preach the definitive sermon on Prince of Peace and then have him come in. No. Um, <laughs> honestly, you'd probably be more like the opposite. Um, people would be like, What was that this morning? Uh, no. Uh, so, what we're going to actually focus on is another name of Christ or uh, from uh, Matthew chapter 1, which actually is uh, a quote directly from Isaiah 7. Um, and so, I'm going to read Matthew 1 as uh, verse 18 through 25 as the Um, Christmas story. I just encourage you to receive this this morning. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. One of the challenges of doing a Christmas message is familiarity with the topic. Um, if you are like me, uh, you grew up in church, uh, you grew up attending around Christmas, going to Christmas Eve services, and there was just a, there's a, a certain nostalgia around it. Um, and, and part of it was, to be honest, that, that as a small child, they would, I would be welcomed into the, the, the Christmas Eve service, and at the door, they would hand me a candle, And that candle I would get to hold through the service until eventually they would let me light it and have an open flame in a room full of carpet and wooden pews. And as a child, I thought fire was an amazing thing. (laughs) I didn't care about anything else, but that was cool. No, uh, I love the music, right? Like the, the tr- tr- I grew up in a traditional church, so it had a lot of traditional Christmas hymns and, and songs. Uh, we sung a lot of variations of them this morning, um, or new arrangements, but there was a lot of nostalgia for me. And if, that, and, and if you grew up in church, honestly, you may have those feelings as well, just like warm, fuzzy feelings. Uh, but it's that which can actually really get in the way of, of us experiencing what Christmas really is. Now, I I don't wanna knock it because I don't think God's up in heaven going, you guys need to stop having that nostalgia. Like, just knock it off, right? Like, I don't want any warm feelings this Christmas about your childhood, right? If you had a childhood and you were raised in church and you have warm, nostalgic feelings, that's great. Just don't let them get in the way. If you sat there a moment ago and and heard me read um, and a son shall be born and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us, and you went, oh, that's good. I remember that. That's a good one, right? And that was how you thought about it. Stop it, right? It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It is a reality of which the world cannot fathom. It is a reality that is so, if it's true, if it's, if it's a fact, it is up there in facts in the universe, right? Right up there with the universe existing is that the God who made it all chose to pour himself into humanity and not just show up as a fully formed man, right? But showed up as an infinite, infant, helpless, right? Right? Born in utter poverty and humility, not in fanfare and glory. The, the theologians call this event the incarnation, which means putting on a flesh. And theologians have spent a lot of time discussing this and unpacking this, but um, I love the way Frederick Beekner, uh, who's a late author and theologian, described the incarnation. He goes, It's as a kind of vast joke whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers. Until we, too, have taken the idea that the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it, we have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. Christmas, uh, East, listen, we're an Easter people. We love Easter. <laughs> Easter is, is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. But honestly, the, the astounding reality that makes Easter possible is Christmas. The astounding reality that the air that you're breathing, the, the, the skin you feel and the, the, the temperature you feel and the blood you feel and the heart you feel and all of that in your body, that God felt that. And not just kind of like he put on like, like an Iron Man suit, right? Like he wasn't just like, I'm just gonna throw on some flesh, but it's not really me. He actually became flesh, fully united, it says, um, with humanity, and so we're going to focus on verse 23 in that, that very short prophecy, but profound statement. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the idea for today is that God became united with humanity so that humanity could be united with God. And we're going to see this in a promise kept and a hope that was born. A promise that was kept. This is the, the very first word in the, in the uh, Greek here, behold. So to, to give you context, as you were, you've read, the angel's talking to Joseph, right? And, and, uh, and he's repeating a phrase, he's repeating a prophecy from Isaiah, but that doesn't mean it doesn't apply in this moment. In fact, he's telling Joseph, behold, listen up. This, this is a strong word in the original language. It means, hey, look at this. Look at what I'm about to tell you. Listen to what I'm about to tell you because what I tell you is going to be something so profound, so mind boggling that you're going to need help to get it. But if you get it, it's going to change everything. A sign. So, what does he ask us to behold? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, we've been looking at Isaiah 9 for the last few weeks. And if you know the context from Isaiah 9, Isaiah 7, 14, which is where this, this uh, prophecy comes from, ex- exact same context. I know it's two chapters apart in Isaiah, and sometimes two chapters can be two completely different contexts. But in Isaiah's case, this is the exact same context. Uh, at this point in Israel's history, when Isaiah gives this prophecy, uh, King Ahaz uh, the king of Judah, southern kingdom was, was in fear because the northern kingdom of Israel had aligned itself with the Syrians and they were talking about coming to town. They were talking about coming down into Judah and taking over and King Ahaz was fearful and he was trying to figure out some alliances for himself, trying to look into Egypt, look into some different places to get some support um, and in, instead Isaiah comes to him, the prophet, and says, hey, don't worry about it. God's got this. God has got this. You're not gonna have to worry about this alliance that that you're so freaked out about because God's gonna give you a sign. Now, ironically, at this moment, what does Ahaz do? You'd think he'd go, sweet, that would be awesome. If he could give me a really good sign, I I could trust that. But no, what does he do? He actually says, "Eh, no thanks. I think I'd rather just kind of figure this out on my own. And Isaiah says, (laughs) basically Isaiah says, I don't care. God is gonna give you a sign, whether you want that sign or not, and I'm gonna give the sign to you. So Ahaz didn't wanna feel obliged to do what God told him to do if he saw the sign. So what's the easiest thing to do if you don't wanna do what God wants you to do? Stick your fingers in your ears and close your eyes, right? I can't hear you, you know? And that's what Ahaz was doing. He didn't wanna to listen to God, but Isaiah said God's gonna still do what he has planned to do, regardless of you. And despite the lack of the faith, Isaiah declares that God's gonna give him that there's going to be a son who's born. And there's an immediate fulfillment. We believe in one of Ahaz's family that there was a, uh, a son born in that family. But, but the ultimate fulfillment is where we are today. 700 years later, it's not a human being that says this is now fulfilled. It's an angel that shows up and, and shows up to Joseph and says, this promise has been fulfilled a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel. Now, uh, skeptics, agnostics, atheists, they, they say here in particular this, this word in the, in the prophet Isaiah, the word virgin does not necessarily mean a, a woman who has not had uh, sex. And so, he, and they're right. This, this word can mean one of two things. It can mean a young woman who is, who is a virgin or a young woman who is of marriageable age. But let me ask you a question. What would be a sign? A young married woman having a son, which is like saying the wind is going to blow. The rain is going to get stuff wet. That's not a sign. That happens all day, all the time, everywhere. But if it was a virgin who had a son, that would be kind of unusual. So, it's the context here, and then further reiterated by, by Matthew as he translates this into Greek that this is actually a son born to a virgin. Now, someone in uh, that, that quiet night 2,000 years ago, a young virgin and her fiance welcomed a baby into this world. Um, and I think we think about that night kind of magically, right? Again, if you grew up in church, uh, anybody have a manger scene in your home growing up like a small manger scene anybody okay so we we had one um, i we actually still have it in my house. I think it's missing a couple of ornament a couple of figures I, I played with and broke them as a child I think. Um, but we actually got, from my granddaughter, we got her, I think it's Fisher-Price manger scene, <laughs> which is awesome. I just love it. Um, but, you know, you have all these pieces, and we see this scene, and it's kind of like, yes, it's a dingy manger, but it's also bright, and it's glowing, and then, you know, the kings are there and the shepherds they somehow look amazing um and mary looks you know she's she's looks nice and the baby's in this immaculate little manger uh this little crib right uh but it was it was nothing like that he didn't glow in the dark right there was no there was no like fanfare in that moment in fact there's, there's nothing that recorded that at the manger, at that moment, that anything glorious at all happened except, and this is why I think the point is, that they didn't want to say like, oh, yeah, but it was all overshadowed by this crazy stuff happening. No, the crazy thing that was happening was the baby, <laughs> the baby who was God in human form. I mean, think about it. the angels appeared to who? And, and, appeared to who out in the, in, in the country? The shepherds. Right? Didn't show up at the manger and glow it up, right? (laughs) Like they they were out in the country. And so in this humble, humble, like broken, dirty manger in utter poverty, God entered this world as a human being. This was God's promise kept. And I want to say this, even it's it's so interesting if you look at the time that Jesus entered the world he entered the world during a time of social, political and economic unrest. Can anyone think of any time that we've lived in at any point in our lives there there's political, social and economic unrest? Like right now. <laughs> right? And and he entered this dark moment. It wasn't a hopeful moment. Yes there were people the Jewish people were looking for a messiah but not this messiah they were looking for all kinds of different messiahs and there were messianic figures that showed up and would get a group of crowd together and then they would die off or they would their crowd would diminish or whatever but then what he was looking and saying you know what our real hope's going to be god showing up in a little baby right a helpless little baby that's going to cry and it's going to poop his diaper and pee in his, well, they didn't have diapers, but like whatever they had back then, right? (laughs) Like that was God, and why God chose to do that um, points to the hope that he was bringing. He entered into our broken world, and this is the reminder that God keeps his promises, and that if he kept his promise, 700 years he kept his promise. If he did that, he will do that for you, he will do that for me. Many of us may look around in the world today and say, is God active? Is God at work? Many of us might look at our own lives and, and, and wonder where God is. Is he out there? Is he at work in my life? I think that sometimes as well. But I, I love this quote this week. Um, that uh, came across this week. It should be on the screen. God doesn't meet us in the sanitized spaces of our aspiration. He meets us in the raw, the real, the manure-scented reality of the grime and grit of our lives. That's what the manger smelled like. It wasn't potpourri. There was no essential oil diffuser there. It was something. <laughs> Behold, Here's a sign, a virgin shall conceive. And it wasn't that God just came to be with us, right? I mean, that means a lot. It means a lot that God would say, hey, I'm with you. But it's another thing that, that, that God didn't just come to be with us. He came to do something for us that we could not do ourselves. And that brings us to the hope, A second point. The hope was born. This text says this child would be called two names. And you get the picture here in this this combination of of two words. He says he would be called Jesus and Emmanuel. The first name was um, the one that the angel told told, uh, Joseph. And I know you might think, well, was that an unusual name? Absolutely not. Jesus was a very common name in that world. And in fact, if you, if, you look in the other, if you look in the Gospels, you'll see Jesus referred to sometimes as Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because it was that Jesus, not Jesus from Jerusalem. Not Jer- Jerusalem, Jesus from uh, Caesarea is Jesus from Nazareth. That's where he was from, and so he got identified with that. But the word Jesus literally means God saves, And it's a variation of Joshua from the Old Testament. Joshua was one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, by the way. What did he do? He took God's people from the wilderness and led them into the promised land, right? And that's the picture of what Jesus does. But he was also God with us. And so you have this hope that Jesus wasn't just a person here to save us from our sins. He wasn't just Joshua. He wasn't just here as a man trying to do something for us. He was God with us to do something for us that we could not do ourselves. He lived the sinless life that we were supposed to live and died the death we rightfully deserved and then rose three days later to give us complete victory over sin and death the God-man born into the manger would one day hang on the cross for the sins of the world. Think about that. Christmas is about hope coming. It's about hope coming and entering our world, but we 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 can get lost in that because that seems very high and lofty, but it's actually about hope coming and entering your world and your life and your circumstances. That's what that's what we need to get today because it's not just just this lofty intellectual idea, though it is, it's, it's mind-boggling, but it is a, a hope that enters your spaces and my spaces. But, but the truth is a hope, a hope is only meaningful depending on the circumstances it enters, right? So if you're a billionaire and you win a million-dollar lottery, Right? You, went, you scratch off and you get a million dollars. It's nice, right? It's nice. But if you are destitute and you're getting ready to be evicted from your apartment and you have no food and you scratch off a lottery ticket and it gives you $1 million, that's a whole different reality, isn't it? And I would argue one of the things that happens in our modern kind of Western culture here is that we're so... We can become so comfortable in our circumstances and our materialism and in in, in life, many of the blessings, things that God has blessed people in in, uh, in first world uh, uh, countries can numb us to the reality that those circumstances can't keep us in peace. Those can't give us hope. Those are not enough. Many of you work in the medical field and you've seen people who, who otherwise have resources, have comfort, have success, who are facing horrible diseases, right? Some of you know, know couples you, or a person you work with and, 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 and if you looked at their resume, you're like, my gosh, your life is amazing. Look at all of the things you've done and, and look at the, you've got a, a, a husband or a wife and you've got kids and you get to travel to Italy during Christmas and all this other stuff. But then you talk to them and you find out how broken they are. Because our circumstances were never meant to give us the hope we need to live on. It is circumstantial hope. We're meant to have our hope in something deeper, something that doesn't change. And Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus who came to save us from our sins. Some of you know um, my mom. Uh, my mom is eighty. Uh, she's a remarkable woman, though. Uh, at eighty, uh, is on no medication. Doesn't wear glasses. She's about. Five foot one, 120 pounds. Um, just a picture of health. Like, still works out in the yard. I was down down there a couple years ago and uh, went to go help. They have a little rental house that they uh, have, and and we went and and I'm like, uh, they're having me like clip some limbs and stuff. And I look over and my mom had taken the ladder and she'd climbed on top of a shed and was clipping, <laughs> clipping stuff. And uh, and I mean that's how able-bodied she is. But she fell uh, about a, a week, a little over a week ago. Um, after giving blood, she got lightheaded and and passed out and and fell and broke her hip. And for most eighty-year-olds, that's a extremely serious condition. And and it was scary for me. I had to um, I was able by God's grace to fly down one week ago today and uh, be there and help my dad, who's eighty-six, and help her. She recovered from surgery and. She got transferred to rehab, nursing home, and and I spent um, about three solid days, or four solid days, one at the hospital and three at the nursing home. I've never spent that much time in a, in a nursing home. I don't know if you if you've ever been to one or spent much time there, but it's like a there's a massive swath of humanity there, and and every person in that place, regardless of their abilities, made in the image of God and has dignity and value. Um, but I saw people from like vegetative state to um, to people like my mom who went home from, the hospital, went home from rehab yesterday um, and is just kind of trucking around on her walker. <laughs> um, so praise God, she's doing well. But one of the things that happened to me as I was walking around was I realized, like, this is a space where hope land, needs to land, right? The woman who my mom was rooming with was, uh, had, was only supposed to have been in there for a few weeks. She had been in there six months, and listening to her cry and listening to her as her family came to visit. And she just wanted to come home for Christmas and just was not able to. And I realized how I just numb myself. Like I can keep myself distracted from, with my phone. I can keep myself distracted with stuff, with people. And, and forget the brokenness that is in this world and the brokenness that's in me, honestly. And so maybe Christmas doesn't land for you. Maybe Emmanuel doesn't land for you. But I would argue it's probably because you're not looking at reality. You're numbing yourself to it by staying super busy, by giving yourself over to things that, aren't, that don't matter. You're, you are basing your hope and your comfort right now in circumstances, and they cannot sustain you. And I'm not saying this bad. Rejoice if your circumstances are good. That's a good gift from God to to appreciate, right? Like I was able to come home to my healthy family and be able to enjoy, by God's grace, Christmas holidays with everybody in my family healthy. And that's a gift. I get to worship with you today. That's a gift. But if I'm looking to that for my hope, I'm gonna get let down. But Emmanuel, God with us, doesn't change. He doesn't change when, when your spouse leaves you. He, he doesn't change when, when your world comes crashing down. He doesn't change you when you get passed over for that promotion you've been hanging all of your hope on. He doesn't change when you are dealing with paralyzing anxiety and fear. He doesn't change when you are struggling uh, to, 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 with, with loneliness and longing for someone uh, to spend your life with. Some of you are here during the Christmas holidays, not because you want to be, but because you have to be, because of work or school or whatever. And and I know you want to be home. He doesn't change. He can be with you at home, but he's with you here as well. Emmanuel, God with us, is the hope that we have this Christmas. And I want to close with just this reminder from um, one of my heroes of the faith, honestly. I studied him some during my PhD program and uh, came to just have such a great respect for him. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived during, he was a pastor and theologian that lived during uh, World War II in, in Nazi Germany. grew up there, his family was a very wealthy, successful. Um, let's hold hold off on that for just a second till I introduce it. Uh, <laughs> I don't want you reading <laughs> before I say it. Um, but he grew up in, in Nazi Germany, and he saw Hitler rise to power. And, and meanwhile, he, he became part of what was called the Confessing Church, not the state church, but the Confessing Church, established a, a confessing seminary that, that refused to, to play along with the Third Reich and called out evil and injustice for what it was. And uh, he was arrested and put into prison and um, actually executed a few days before um, the allies freed the, the camp he was in. Uh, he was specifically executed at the, uh, by the request of Hitler himself. But this man wrote while he was in prison. He was away from his fiance, who he longed to be with. He was away from his family, who he longed to be with, by himself. And he wrote most of his Advent devotional in prison. So you can see why there's, there's a beauty and hope. I read it every year around this time. And I, I came across this quote yesterday just to encourage you as I close. God raised his love for human beings above every reproach of falsehood and doubt and uncertainty by himself entering into the life of human beings as a human being, by bodily taking upon himself and bearing the nature, essence, guilt, and suffering of human beings. Out of love for human beings, God becomes a human being. God became united with humanity so humanity could be united with God. That's our hope this Christmas season. And as we move into our time of response, I realize that some of you might be struggling with hope right now, or you may know someone who's struggling with hope. And I want us to just take a moment and and bow our heads and, and close our eyes and maybe pray if there's an area of your life that you're struggling to have hope in, that you would just invite Emmanuel to enter that space And if it's someone you know that's struggling this Christmas season, take a moment and pray for them. If you would come down and humble yourself, be born into into a little babe, weak and helpless, and do that but for us, surely today you would come and be Emmanuel with us in our hearts minds and our lives and for those around us who are struggling looking everywhere for hope but at you I pray that we would speak that hope to them that the Holy Spirit would speak that hope to them and they would know it this Christmas season In your great name we pray.